Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. But first, let us pray. Almighty God, draw near to us. Fill us with your Spirit, that we might understand your Word fully. Fill us with your grace, that we might live your Word faithfully. We are your people, and we long to hear your voice. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is the fifth and final installment in our sermon series, Do I Really Have to Believe That? Together we have tackled creationism and literal biblical interpretation, predestination and forgiveness, the existence of hell, and today, the reality of heaven. Someone who has been worshiping with us from a distance, from another country even, they emailed me this past week to say, Jenny, you know, you haven't actually offered us any absolute answers yet. You've just created space for nuance. You've, you've just offered us some space to breathe. I think it was intended as a compliment. That's certainly how I'm choosing to take it. Because here's the thing, I believe that faith is a conversation, not a conclusion. Faith is not something we achieve and then set aside on a shelf as if we're done with it forever. The great Maya Angelou, I love this story. She said in an interview once, I'm always amazed when people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian. Because I think to myself, already? You got it? Already? I'm still working at it. What I think that God wants for us, and what I know Jesus offers us, is a living faith. One that we are all still working at. One that grows and changes even as we grow and change. What I believe today is not the exact same as what I believed 20 years ago. And I hope that what I will believe 20 years from now is not the exact same as what I believe today. I hope and I pray that I will continue to learn and experience new ways of understanding God all the days of my life. And I hope and I pray the same for you all the days of your life. All the days of your life, all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These words from Psalm 23, they lead us right into the question of heaven. Because Psalm 23 and John 14, the words that Deborah read for us just a few moments ago, these passages are some of the ones that we most associate with heaven, in part because they are some of the passages we read most often at memorial services, at times when our need to believe in heaven is especially strong and incredibly urgent. The truth is, I don't know any Christians who don't want to believe in heaven. I know plenty of Christians, though, who aren't sure they want to believe in a heaven that's for Christians only. But it is right there in the Gospel of John. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words sound like good news for those who believe in Jesus, but they also sound like bad news for those who don't. And it raises all manner of questions. Is Christianity really the only way to God? What about other faith traditions? What about family members who have no interest in any sort of religion? And what about friends who grew up within the Hindu or Muslim traditions? And what about our neighbors, our faraway neighbors, who, depending on where they were born, might never be exposed to Christianity at all? Is our good news really supposed to be their bad news? There are some who understand the Christian faith to be the great arbiter, to be the plumb line or the litmus test or whatever image or metaphor you prefer. There are some who understand the Christian faith to be that which determines who is in and who is out, at least when it comes to God and especially when it comes to the love of God. My college roommate, the one that I told you about last week, she subscribed to this way of thinking. For many, a professed faith in Jesus Christ is essential, not because it might bring us hope and comfort, not because it might teach us love and compassion, but because it is the only way to wind up on the right side of those so-called pearly gates. Because Jesus did say, no one comes to the Father except through me. I know that's what he said, but I think we have to give very careful consideration to what he actually meant. You see, John's Gospel was written to and among faithful Jewish folks who were having a very intense debate amongst themselves about how significant Jesus was. Some Jews of that time thought that believing in Jesus as anything other than a wise teacher was a departure from faithful Judaism. As they understood it, anyone who followed Jesus was leaving their God behind, their God of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Jacob. And so those folks, they drew a line and they said, if you are with Jesus, then you are no longer with us. This other group 
of Jews, though. They believed that following Jesus was not a departure from following God. In fact, following Jesus was a continuation of following God. When they looked at Jesus, they didn't see an alternative to the God of their ancestors. When they looked at Jesus, they saw anew just how deeply the God of their ancestors loved them, enough to bring the very same love in a different way. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I understand the text, it is really Jesus saying, to know me is to know God, and to know God is to know me. Yes, the relationship my Father has with the world, it is different now, and that is because of me. But my Father is the same God you have always known him to be, and that is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Jacob. Gail O'Day is long considered one of the foremost experts of the Gospel of John. And she says that while this text is almost always used to express a sort of Christian exclusivism, what it actually points to is particularism. She says that to know and follow Jesus is to experience God through the Incarnation, which is a very particular expression of divine love. It is a very particular expression of divine love that does not claim to be the only expression of divine love. The Jews who were following Jesus at that time, the ones who were expelled from their community and their tradition, they were told, you have left our God behind. And so what they were trying to say when they wrote down these gospel stories, what they were trying to say is, we haven't left our God behind. We've just discovered that our God is bigger than we ever imagined. So do not let your hearts be troubled, friends, and do not let them be afraid. And pay attention to this. The text says that we come to the Father through Jesus. We come to the Father through Jesus, not through belief in Jesus. Those are two very different things. My belief does not save me. Jesus saves me. Because Jesus reveals just how much God loves the whole world. Jesus shows us how the love of God extends to all of creation and assures us that God desires to redeem everyone and everything because the love of God has no limit, no boundary, no barrier. Now don't misunderstand me. Belief matters. Our belief in God comforts us and guides us. It instructs us and challenges us and shapes us. It grounds us and calls us and directs us. Our belief is responsible for an enormous amount of who we are and how we live, and that is no small thing. But our belief is not what saves us. Nothing less and nothing more than the grace of God is what saves us. 
So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. In my father's house, there are many rooms. This new expression of God's love, do you hear how it embraces familial language? It is not God's love at a distance. It is God's love up close. It is God's love manifest in proximity and relationship and intimacy. In my father's house, Jesus says, drawing an immediate and direct connection between himself and God. But then he says, no one comes to the Father because that language of family, well, it's not just his anymore. The language of family, the language of being God's family, well, because of Jesus, that language of family, that reality of family extends to all people as well. To belong to God, to be claimed by the love of God, is to become part of the family of God. And if we trust that for our future, it shapes how we see others and treat others in our present, especially when we are faced with the temptation to make our own determinations about who is in and who is out. Because remember, that second group of faithful Jewish folks, the ones who were cast out of their tradition and their home, they were told, you're wrong, so you can't be with us anymore. And you know, they could have done the exact same thing. They could have said, no, we're right and you're wrong, and you know what, you can't be with us anymore either. But they didn't do that. What they said was, God's love really is big enough for all of us. They were changed by the one they followed, and they let that change the way they lived. In February of 1997, President Bill Clinton entered the House chamber to give the State of the Union address. His cabinet was led into the room by Madeleine Albright. She would later write about that moment. For the first time in history, a woman led the cabinet down the aisle between applauding congressmen and senators. She said it should have been a moment of unmitigated joy, but it wasn't. It wasn't for her because just days earlier, you might remember this, just days earlier she learned something her parents had never told her. She learned that she was Jewish. And not only was she Jewish, but 12 of her Jewish family members had died during the Holocaust. On that historic night, she was still reeling from that new information. It was later that year, in July, that Secretary Albright traveled to the Czech Republic. While she was there, she visited the Pincus Synagogue in Prague. She described it this way, Entering, you observe what appears to be fine wallpaper covering the wall. But as you get closer, you can see that the pattern is actually made up of neat black writing listing the names of the 77,297 Czechoslovak Jews who died in the Holocaust. 
She said, the Jewish officials accompanying me, they pointed out the names of Arnost and Olga Korbel. The Korbels were the secretary's grandparents. She said, I had not foreseen that I would start visualizing my grandparents in, in striped concentration camp uniforms. I had not foreseen that I would see their hollow faces staring back at me. I thought about how they must have suffered and how their struggle to survive must have been so difficult and how the torture of their last hours must have been terrible. And then she said, a year earlier, I visited that same synagogue and it looked the same then as it did now. The synagogue was not what had changed. I was what had changed. What would happen to us? How would we be changed? How would the course of all of the human history still to be written be changed? If we realized that the names inscribed on that wall are our family members too. We live in a world where it is easy. In fact, it is even encouraged to delineate between who is in and who is out, who is good and who is bad, who is right and who is wrong. But friends, when our salvation comes, and it is coming, when the kingdom of heaven arrives in the end with all its glory, I believe we will discover that the very heart of God is inscribed with the names of all people, which means we will discover that we really have all been family all along. Now, do you really have to believe that? Of course you don't. You figured that out weeks ago, I think. You actually don't have to believe any of the things we've been talking about because your belief is not what saves you. It never has been and it never will be. Your belief is what shapes you though and letting yourself be shaped by the love of God, well, it won't save your life, but it will make your life worth living. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.